one of the smart things they did was they interviewed their board members and said, asked them to dream about what they wanted this organization to be in five years. And I got to read all those interviews. So that was really, really helpful for me. So then I interviewed them myself. And I really tried to learn what is the organization doing well? What is it not doing so well? What would you want from this organization from me? And that's what I did. It was a listening tour, really, to make sure that I um, benefited from all their time in the organization. Because there are people that you'll meet who've been with the organization for 40 years. And they, they, right when they get out of school, and they're still with the organization as members today. So I really tried to learn from them. So that was, that was the big step one. Imagine jumping into the driver's seat of a company more than 100 years old. What challenges and possibilities would you face? Just ask Lynn Brannigan, the CEO of She Runs It, an organization of professional women working in marketing, advertising, and media, providing them support and a network to excel in their careers. Lynn joined the company just six years ago. Coming up, you'll hear about Lynn's eternal optimism, why jumping in and helping along the way may actually be a real recipe for success, the power of embracing change, maximizing a team of just five people, how to keep a business started in 1912 still relevant, and what it's like to take over a legacy and dealing with others who may have a hard time embracing that change. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Today, Lynn Brannigan is joining me. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So before um, before becoming the CEO of what is now called She Runs It, you co-founded the firm Multimedia Resources and had a long career in marketing. What sparked your career change? You know, I don't think of my career as like a straight line. I, I tended to get excited about different things and trust my gut along the way. So there was no like time in my life where I said, at this point in my career, I want to be here. But I sort of looked at those things that sort of intrigued me and sort of sparked joy for me. (laughs) And that's sort of my path. I mean, I actually started in the accounting field because I'm the fourth child of seven. And my mother said, please, no matter what you do, when you go to college, major in something where you can get a job. And so I sort of started (laughs) there. Always good advice. And I really liked that because it taught me how businesses worked. And it was very helpful for when I started my own business. But I went from there to the media world because I just loved entertainment and worked at CBS. I heard from that about this thing called digital, like in nineteen in the 1980s, believe it or not. <laughs> and I was so intrigued by it. I said, I have to work at that company. So that's the way my path happens. Things excite me, and then I pursue them. I ended up, you know, when I got involved in selling my, creating my own business, I ended up selling that. And so I dabbled in things that really interested in me. And I got to She Runs It because a board member for a former firm reached out to me and said, they're looking for a CEO. I think you'd be great at this. And you know, just the power of a network is what got me there. And when someone reached out to you and said they're looking for a CEO, what was your first thought? 
Had you been familiar with the organization already? I heard of the organization. It was not called She Runs It at the time. It was called Advertising Women of New York. I heard of it. I wasn't based in the city, so I didn't interact with it a lot. I had to go to school on, on the organization, but a lot of people in the industry were very involved in it for years and years and years, and I do, did know that. But I had to I had to go to school on what they did, who else offered what they offered, and you know to think about how I could contribute. How did that? Um, how did you get connected with with um, with she? What's what's now? She runs it. Um, so someone was looking for a CEO. What was the next step? Did you contact them? They reached out to you. It was a funny story because she worked at a company called MediaLink, and MediaLink is a very well known search firm in our industry. And she was a board member at my former employer. And it was her first week on the job, and she heard about them looking for this person. And she said, you know, you don't even know my last name yet, but I'm telling you, I think I know the perfect person for the job because I had worked for another association before that that was also in the industry, and I ran, mm-hmm. I ran marketing for them. And so I met them. It was a sort of a long process to get the job. It was like a six-month conversation before I started because I was replacing someone who was retiring. And she was going to be retiring six months later. So it was a long, long conversation between then and now. And they were really looking to reinvent the place. This is always so interesting to me because we are often recruiting. And when you're looking for a CEO, the most senior position at a company, what is that recruiting process like? What is the interview process like? Six months. What are you what are you doing during that whole time? Uh, it was a, it was an interesting process. I started out by meeting, you know, an organization like this. It's a 501c3 and a membership organization. So it's a foundation and a membership organization. And a lot of organizations like that are run by volunteers. Very, You know, there are very active committees. There's many committees. Mm-hmm. And there are people who think of this as a, a, like a precious jewel. And they, they want people to take care of this jewel and believe in it the way they believe in it. So the process started with me where I was interviewed by a a search committee. There were about six people Mm -hmm. on this search committee, all board members. So they interviewed me. I happened to have met one of them before. And I was very convinced that I was the perfect person for the job. They weren't necessarily (laughs) convinced right away. I'll be honest. And they wanted somebody who had uh, who had run a business before, who had marketing experience, who understood our industry. I think that they wondered whether that person was going to be pretty senior like me or maybe the next generation of leaders. So they were looking at a broad spectrum of people at the time. And one of the things they asked us to do as part of the interview process was to write a business case on a new piece of business, a new channel that they weren't in, and talk to them about you know, what we, how we would implement that new business. So I thought that was a really fun challenge because here I had started a consulting firm. I really know how to start businesses. So for me, it was a really fun challenge, but it took time. And I, I recommended a line of business that we're still not in, <laughs> which I, and I think we should be, but uh, at some point. Uh, but I recommended a line of business, and then they just really liked my thinking. So it was a series of interviews to just get to know what makes me tick, will I interact well with the organization, and ultimately, you know, they just decided that I, I think they liked the broad mm-hmm. aspects of my skill set, and they thought that I could, I could serve them well. So what was your first month like at the company? What did you do first? Oh, my goodness. Um, I interviewed people. 
you know, what I wanted to do was learn from the people who mm -hmm. cherished this organization so much. And one of the things they did that was really smart, I thought, was as their transitioning leadership. So the person that I replaced had been in her role for, I think, about 17 years okay, wow. and had been on the board for 12 years prior to that. So she had a long tenure with the organization. So this was going to represent a very big shift for them. So one of the smart things they did was they interviewed their board members and said, asked them to dream about what they wanted this organization to be in five years. And I got to read all those interviews. So that was really, really helpful for me. So then I interviewed them myself. And I really tried to learn what is the organization doing well? What is it not doing so well? What would you want from this organization from me? And that's what I did. It was a listening tour, really, to make sure that I um, benefited from all their time in the organization. Because there are people that right. you'll meet who've been with the organization for 40 years. And they, they right when they got out of school. And they're still with the organization as members today. So I really tried to learn from them. So that was, that was the big step one. In your first year at She Runs It, what was your – what were some big changes that you implemented so the business was, there were several changes that we made over time. They told me they wanted me to start fresh. Look at everything that's going well and keep doing it. Look at things that are not going so well and change them. But ultimately, they wanted to be an organization that served the next generation of leaders. So if you think about a, an organization that was founded in 1912, based on a lot of history, a lot of legacy, you know, how do you take that and modernize it so you're relevant to the next generation of leaders? That was really the question that I was presented with. And so among the things we started to do was look at how the business was funded. Just look, that's not sexy, but it's important. <laughs> it's just to, you know, look at how the business is funded. And it was an organization that uh, – was an individual membership organization. Mm -hmm. So you paid $80 if you were under 30. You paid $150 if you were over 30. And there was programming for you at each career mm -hmm. stage. And that's still pretty much the case. We focus on the, the individual at each career stage. But when you looked at where money was coming from, you realized you either had to have an awful lot of individual members or you had to have a lot of events to make the business work. And so I questioned right at the beginning why corporations weren't involved. And the reaction was, oh, you know, companies just won't be involved. They, they won't fund individual memberships. So that was probably the first thing I tackled, exploring whether there was a, an opportunity for companies to look at us as an employee benefit, something they could offer all of their employees. And so that was probably step one. And now three years in, into that. That was probably something we started implementing. Uh, we're now in our fourth year of it. And 80% of our members now are corporate members. It's amazing. Which corporations do you partner with? Oh, lots of companies in our space. So uh, Facebook and 20, yes, 25 yes. companies are Corporate Alliance partner companies okay. now. And it's only limited by the time we have to secure more. We're a very small organization. So but but um, I'm very proud of one thing, which is that this year we had 100% renewal rate on our corporate alliance partners, and we doubled them. So we went to, from 12 to 25, Amazing. and 100% renewal rate. So it says that that says something to these organizations, and I and I hope it's because we sincerely are trying to lift women up. You know, our mission is to pave the way for more women to lead at each stage of their career in marketing, media, and tech. 
And that's really what we focus on. It's like sprinkling good on people. It's, it's, it's a very rewarding job. Yes, we have some of our employees at Social Fly that are members of She Runs It, and they absolutely love it. And I've also been to a few events, and and it's you, it's definitely very very well run and educational. Uh, how many employees work at She Runs It? There are only five full time employees. Five? You would never I think that. <laughs> there are only five full time employees. We have several part time employees. Okay. But we run by volunteer committee. So you know, when you think of what we do, fifty events a year in New York and Chicago. With for people at each, people. each career stage, plus another dozen, uh, half a dozen events for executive class members who are people who are at the C-suite or on their way. It is, sometimes I'm even amazed that we can pull it off. But we do have some very talented part-time people who help us. We have a couple of interns. And then we have seven volunteer committees in New York and four volunteer committees in Chicago. So what do each of the five people do? Who's responsible for what? Um, You've accomplished a lot with a very, very small team. That's so impressive. I have a fabulous board, too, I have to say. And they're like sort of rock stars in the industry. And it's it's that's something that, you know, has really amazed me. You know, I get off these board calls and I'm, I feel like, you know, I've just done yoga or I've just done <laughs> had a run or I just I feel so energized by them. So what but what what do the five people do? I've run the organization in all aspects of it, but I'm a player coach too. I, <laughs> uh, I have a, a person who runs events, a person who runs uh, business development, uh, um, a marketing person who does social media and marketing, um, a membership lead. And me. So there's there's that's the team. But we also have uh, part time people helping with some of the committees. Mm -hmm. I have interns who, who help with some of the events. I have a communications lead and a membership and events person in Chicago. They're all part time, but they they're all there to support that. So we're sort of a lean and mean yeah, uh, I love it. Little what machine. Are, yeah, <laughs> what are some of the challenges when you have a lot of part-time employees and volunteers? How do you hold people accountable? Well, it's funny. It used to be uh, when I started, there were only three people in the organization, so it was even smaller. And all of our events were hosted by volunteers. They got the sponsors. They got the speakers. They did everything but secure the venue. And... They set the budgets even for the wow. events. And that really just wasn't sustainable. You know, what would happen is if they couldn't get a sponsor, they canceled the event. And we didn't want that. Right, we wanted right. to have reliable programming all, all year round. So now uh, we try to do a lot of the heavy lifting, but leverage their contacts, leverage their ideas, uh, and make the, uh, the volunteer experience rewarding for them. So we, for example, yesterday hosted what is uh, our largest event of the year. It's called... Uh, working Mothers of the Year. So we celebrate mm -hmm. working mothers. We had celebrated 22 women who uh, are just remarkable. We host. We celebrated three companies that offer best practices in supporting working families, and we had 550 people there. We wrote every word of the script, but we let two of our volunteer co-chairs who helped us come up with the ideas as to who should be honored uh, host the event. And read the script. I had I had a role too, but we really empowered them to look good and enjoy the experience, enjoy the volunteer work. What would you say has been the biggest challenge that you faced over your time as she runs it? Um, let me think about that one. 
The biggest challenge has been shifting the business model so that we can do more. You know, my dream as an organization is to be the feet on the street in every major market to help women realize their dreams. We wanted to get out of New York. We wanted to help women in Chicago. We want to help women on the West Coast, in the Southwest, in the South. And the challenge is it takes time to get there. Right, right. We decided uh, to rebrand and expand in 2016. And we hosted one event in Chicago just to you know, see if there was interest. And we also did a task force, uh, created a task force into Ch in Chicago so that we could assess the need. And the first event we had was standing room only. Wow. And today we have 1,200 members in Chicago after launching just two and a half years ago. So the demand is there. So the biggest challenge is just, just raising the money to do more. And that's the biggest challenge. Coming up, the mentorship program and a rebrand of She Runs It. I love the name She Runs It, but I know that that was not the original name. How did you make the decision to rebrand the organization? Why did you do it? How did you come up with the fabulous name of She Runs It? Well, let me tell you, it was quite controversial. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> people don't like change. Oh, let yes. Let me tell you that for sure. The people loved Advertising Women of New York, which was not the original name. The, oh. the original name in 1912 was the League of Advertising Women in New York. And it was changed to Advertising Women in New York in 1934. And in around the 2014 timeframe, a board member, uh, in a board meeting, we talked about expanding to Chicago. When I came to the organization, they wanted to be national. That was their goal. So when we started that process, we couldn't go to Chicago being Advertising Women of Chicago, because that yeah. acronym would have been OUCH. That sounded yeah. terrible. <laughs> we also, as an industry, it changed. We'd broadened beyond advertising to marketing and media. So some people would hear the name Advertising Women of New York and say, that doesn't work for me. That's mm -hmm. not what I do. And I can't relate to that. And so we wanted a name that would be more relatable, that would appeal to the next generation of leaders, and would resonate with people who want to understand why we do what we do. So if we want to pave the way for more women to lead, a name like She Runs It really makes sense. How did you come up with the name? We hired uh, – we I'm, we were very lucky. So one of our board members uh, had was the chief marketing officer at Mondelez at the time. And she said, you know, changing your name is a really big task. How are you going to do it? And she actually lent us two brand strategists from ah. Mondelez. And then once we had done the, the you know, the audits and the work yes. that you do to understand how to, you know, create a brand, understand the words and the, um, and the emotion that you want that brand to stand for, we hired a creative agency uh, called Co-Collective, and they helped us do the work. The name itself came up in a brainstorming session from a 26-year-old copywriter who just said it, and we all just stopped and said, she's got it. Yeah, I love it. We then wrote a manifesto that talked about what She Runs It stands for. And and it was just a very moving time in our journey. Not everyone liked the name. We actually had to take it to a vote in our board <laughs> meeting because there were people who just didn't want to lose the name Advertising Women in New York. And I remember 
we kept trying to tell members we were going to make this change. And I remember one day I mentioned in, a, in an event that we were going to change our name in two weeks. And I heard this man gasp. He was like, what are you doing? You can't. And I said, I know, I know, but it's time. So if I talk to somebody like you, who's young, um, you love the name. I love if I the talk name. to somebody who's in their 50s or 60s, they're very, they can be very sad that Ani is no longer with us. And so you sometimes hear right. people who are older in the industry refer to She Runs It as Ani. And then if I'm standing in a room, I thought it was so funny. We, we were at an event a couple of weeks ago, and it was called Marketing in a Multicultural World, and it attracted a very diverse group of people and very diverse ages as well. And there were two young women in their 20s standing to my left and an older gentleman who was in his 60s standing to my right. And I said, is this your first? She runs an event. And he said, oh, I, I've been to Ani events for 20 years. And these young women on my left looked at me like, what is he talking about? So, you know, the young the young generation loves the name and feels very proud of it. Most people in Chicago only know of us as She Runs It. Let's talk about the community of women that make up She Runs It. Um, who Who is a part of She Runs It and, and how does the mentorship program work? So people who are part of She Runs It would have been just out of school all the way up to the C-suite, representing media companies, mark, uh, brands, agencies, PR firms, ad tech firms. It's that kind of ecosystem. You asked earlier who some of our members are on the corporate side. So companies like Facebook and Twitter and Spotify, you know, that spectrum, but also Group M and IPG mm-hmm. and Dentsu Aegis Network, that spectrum. So, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and ad tech companies as well. So a very broad spectrum of, of companies and a broad spectrum of women from those just starting out in their career for those who are in, in that messy middle to people almost at the C-suite to people in the C-suite. And because of that, we do programming for people at each career stage. So we have certain programming for young, young executives and pricing for them and certain programming for those in the middle and other programming for people at the top because people at the top say it's lonely at the top and they want to peer of people that they can mm-hmm, learn from. Mm-hmm. And so we program for them as well. And how was the mentorship program structured? The mentoring program started about 23 years ago. So we have some things that are 50 years <laughs> <Yeah>. old. Uh, <laughs> but the mentoring program started in uh, around 1996. And the idea behind it is that we pair mentors with mentees based upon the needs the mentees express and the skills the mentors can provide. It's a written application that people fill out. And we have a committee and we sit down over like a five-hour period of time, I do it too, and pair these people based upon the the needs the mentees expressed. Most board members are our mentors too. All board members are asked to be a mentor um, at least in one of the two cycles we have. We have two nine-month cycles a year. So one starts in January to September. The second one starts in June and then goes through the the following March. There are 800 people in the program. So we have the largest mentoring program in our industry. Yeah, someone from our office is – well, we have several people in our office that are part of the the mentoring program, and they absolutely love it. They have – and the, and uh, I, one person in particular, her mentor has stuck with her even after the the mentorship program ended. Oh, that absolutely happens. We don't ask them to formally hold on, but you become friends. Yeah, yeah. And my mentee right now, I'm learning so much from her. So it's it's a mutually beneficial process. It's not that just as a mentor you're giving, 
as a mentee, you're giving as well. And so we have a very structured way that we suggest people approach it. We, of course, encourage them to make it their own Mm -hmm. and do things on their own. But some people are shy. And so we try to give them structure so that they learn how to take advantage of it. So we give them guidelines. We have a mentoring kickoff for each of the programs in New York and Chicago, and we we help them understand how to take advantage of their mm-hmm. of their mentoring program. And then we help them meet other mentor and mentee pairs to learn how they've made it their own. So I love we, that. we try I to love be very that. structured. Uh, did you have a mentor in your career? I've had so many mentors <laughs> in my career, not just one. I would say that uh I'm really lucky with the board I have. I'm so energized by our board chair right now is a woman named Lisa Donahue. She's the CEO of Publicist Spine. And she's just so bright that she makes me feel fearless whenever I talk to her. And I had a past board chair named Carol Watson. I actually formed a consortium with her last year called the Inclusion and Diversity Accountability Consortium. Um, And the reason we formed this is that uh, a very senior agency leader said to me one day, the fact that you stand for women is great. You need to stand for all women of all ethnicities and all perspectives. And the company that does that will be game changing. Mm -hmm. Carol, who works at Diversity Best Practices, is an expert in diversity and inclusion. So I went to her and said, what do we do? And she said, it's really hard, uh, but it takes accountability at the CEO level. It takes measurement and it takes dialogue to learn about best practices. So we formed what's called the Inclusion and Diversity Accountability Consortium with her guidance as Mm -hmm. my mentor. And we uh, offer companies a tool where they answer 300 questions on inclusion, representation and culture. And we give them the results anonymously relative to the benchmark, which Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. marketing, media and tech. We have 20 companies in it. We just formed it a year ago. And you get to anonymously see where you are, and you also get to learn from others through quarterly thought leadership roundtables. It's a really powerful tool, and we don't charge for it because we wanted there to be a frictionless way for people to get to, to really try to change our industry in inclusion and diversity. That's really uh, So awesome. Carol's my other mentor, and, and that's something that came out of that partnership. Can you think of the greatest lesson or lessons that you've learned from your mentors? Maybe share one or two. Hmm. Let me think. For From Lisa, I learned the importance of transparency. She uh, is, she's been an industry leader in the, in the publicist group for probably 30 years. She actually has only been at the publicist group her whole career. And she talks about the importance of reinvention, and, and it's just a very powerful story about how you can work in one place and reinvent yourself along the way and, and, and constantly challenge yourself and how you have a hand in that. She talked me about the importance of t- making board members be accountable for their contributions. So f- one of the things she will say in our board meetings is, Rather than just discussing topics, we give board members pre-reads and make them responsible for discussing topics. I mean, so the importance of accountability is something she's really, really taught me. Um, And just the importance of transparency, because if you're not sharing the bad news Mm -hmm. as well as the good news, trust can erode. Right. And so she's really taught me that. And... uh, but I have so many mentors. I feel very lucky. 
uh, in that, in that, you know, each of them, I, I sort of embrace all my former board chairs and I call them my chairs. Yes. And, and so I will always, you know, sometimes I'll have breakfast and bring them all together <laughs> uh, for sort of group brainstorming. And would you say, you, were there any mistakes that you've made um, in the last six years as she runs it that you've learned from? Oh, definitely. Who doesn't What's your mistakes? biggest mistake? I am an eternal optimist. I'm like high energy and a total optimist. And sometimes I assume that everyone will get this, you know. And one, one of the things I've learned is change takes time. Mm -hmm. So one example will be Chicago. We invested a lot of our own money to go into Chicago because I just assumed that, you know, when we started this Corporate Alliance program that people would want to come on board mm -hmm. and invest in us because we were doing wonderful things for women. And three years in, they have. And our business, our business is stronger than it's ever been. But it took those three years. We're about to shift to uh, individual giving. And what I've learned from that is don't think it's going to happen in year one. Change takes time. And, you know, so that's, that's one real lesson I learned through this process. Yeah, I've definitely learned that from running a business myself. Um, and then something else that uh, Stephanie and I like to do is we like to do a surprise and delight with our guests. So we actually have a surprise for you. Uh -oh. It's actually right over there. Um, and we read your LinkedIn bio, and it reads, imagine a role where you sprinkle good on women in marketing, media, and tech. And this is what I do as the president and CEO of She Runs It. So we just wanted to celebrate that bio and share with you a little sprinkle for your day. Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. Should I open it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> One of my colleagues got this as a birthday cake last week. I know. It's so so much fun. We I had it for my birthday. Um, and there's like candy inside yeah. and it falls out. Lots of sprinkles. Oh, that's, um. so, <laughs> that's so sweet of you. Thank you so much. I'm going to bring this back to my staff because they're going to love this. Perfect. So, so perfect. thank you. Um, and they're going to be so surprised. Because I just heard about these this week. Yeah. I mean, they're like all over you. social media. So I know. I know. Very, very Instagrammable. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, going national and a brainstorm. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entreprenista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entreprenistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entreprenistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed. It's going to be an exciting 2019, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. So I would imagine that running a company that aims to go national is um, requires a lot of your time. Yes. How do you balance your personal life and your your business life? Balance. That's a hard <laughs> word. I'm not sure that's a real world and a real <laughs> word in my vocabulary. To be very honest with you, I'm. Uh, I said before, I'm high energy and optimistic. So I put a lot of hours into my job. There's no question about that. 
Um, you know, when I started my own business several years ago, one of the things I did to create balance was to start in my town so that I could have more access to my kids and be part of their mm-hmm. lives. Uh, now my kids are grown and maybe she runs it a li- is a little bit of my baby now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I do put a lot of time into it. Um, I do try to uh, get up early and give myself the first two hours of my day, though. That's something it's I don't say balance because I think that's unrealistic in mm-hmm, a way. Mm-hmm. But I find way things to make my life work in that way. Also, um, just because I'm like any other business leader, I know my employees want they want balance and they want to enjoy right. their lives. So we do uh, we are testing a work from home Fridays right now that I'm personally loving, although it's Friday and I'm here with you yeah. today. Well, thank you for joining me. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm testing that out because uh, because we can, because technology allows right. us to. And I want to be that kind of employer that um, gives people the flexibility that I didn't have when I was starting out and that technology allows. So what is a typical day like? So what time are you waking up? Five or six. Five uh, or six. And I'm you saying. said two, you give the first two hours, you dedicate it to yourself. What are you doing during that I'm, time? I'm, I'm, I could be exercising. I could be taking a walk. Um, I could just be spending time at home, you know, just unwinding before I start my day. I sometimes do a little work from home before I start. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a big walker and I like to, I get good ideas by just taking a walk. Um, and that's a sort of, is energizing for me. So it's, but, but as an organization like ours, we, I start the day two hours for me. I end the day pretty late because a lot of, because we have volunteer committees, those meetings are before and after work. What day, what time does your day usually end? Oh, it varies. It will end at five o'clock on a Friday. But other than that, (laughs) that's one thing that's usually consistent. But other than that, um, it, it can go it can go late, late because our events, some of our events are in the evening as well. Uh, and then what is next for She Runs It? I know the plan is to go national. Right. So what's the next city? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to go to Chicago and not keep going. It really is hard. And people are anxious for us to keep going. And as I said earlier, when we talked about, you know, when we went to Chicago, we raised half the money ourselves. It was from, you know, our, our own investment funds. And then companies also contributed. If we go out to the, our next stop, we want to relook at the marketplace. So we want to think of New York as East, Midwest as Midwest, meaning Chicago, Detroit, mm-hmm. Minneapolis, and then the West Coast, uh, San Francisco, L.A., Seattle, and Portland, then Southwest, then South. So we want to do all all of these things, redefine five regions, 14 markets. So we're the feet in the street in every major market helping women realize their dreams. That's what we really want to do. But there's a chicken and egg there. We we need the money to do it. Right. And that's a real challenge for us right now to get to that point. So we're trying two things. We're continuing to get support from corporations. And we're, we've just completed a feasibility study to explore in the potential for individual giving because I did not know this, but the reality is 79% of all giving in this country is from individuals. So we're going to go down that path first. But then the next challenge is I can't wait have these people wait for us to come forever. Right. So what we're exploring different ways to serve nationally now. So one idea could be and I'd love your thoughts. Uh, one idea could be a road trip 
where we, we have a program and we bring it on the road to help people understand us. Or maybe a road trip and uh, we do maybe three events in a market per year as we gain traction in that market. That's that's something that I'm going to challenge the board with at our next strategy session to help me think that through, how to be how to start the, start to become a national organization. I was I was talking to an organization the other day and they they really love what we we're doing and they really want to support us and they said but you're not national yet, and they compared us to a company that is also and they said like fill in the blank company, mm-hmm. and I said well that's interesting they only offer one event a year and it's in New York. And they suggest, but they're global. And it's because they it's a major media brand and they attract global speakers. So can we do something like that where we have a major event where we're attracting speakers from mm-hmm. around the country and they look at us differently because of that? Because the reality is this company they refer to, they're only based in New York and they only do one event. We do 50 events in New York and Chicago, but we're looked at as a regional mm-hmm. organization. So that's the next real challenge for us. Very, very interesting. Well, I think that's a good segue into a segment that we like to do where we put 60 seconds on the clock and we have some sort of brainstorm. So is there any particular thing that you would want to brainstorm? Probably how to go national. But if you have something else that you'd want to talk about or discuss, uh, happy to happy to do it. Well, even just how to go to the West Coast. I mean, that would be something that we are really passionate about. If I look at my goals for the next three years, I'm not done. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't achieved the goal of going national. I'm very proud of what we've done. I mean, our, in six years, uh, almost tripling the size of the organization in terms of memberships, um, rebranding, which is no small feat, right. going into Chicago, uh, raising $600,000 to pay off student loan debt. I'm proud of all of those things. And I'm proud of the mentorship program as well. I'm proud of the consortium to tackle inclusion and diversity. But I won't feel complete until... We're a national organization. So I'd love some thoughts there. Yeah, yeah. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and a, an idea that immediately comes to mind. And it's something actually you, you kind of just talked about, but maybe hosting um, some sort of three-day conference or two-day conference, because I'm often going to those um, at a location in, in California, so LA right. or San Francisco, and putting together a program that touches upon, you know, anything and everything that any young professional or any any type of professional, depending upon the stage in their career, would be interested in learning about. It could be, you know, a combination of all of the events that you host throughout the year and just select maybe the, you know, top 10 or 20 best um, best topics and put together some sort of conference around it. Yeah. And that way you can attract people from all over the country or even all over the world uh, to attend this event and may- maybe don't make it exclusive to just members but include include everyone. Yeah. Uh, another idea could be just pop-up events, you know, small events um, at specific companies, maybe companies that you want to target in the West Coast that aren't currently partners of yours and host pop-up events at their, um, at their companies. At the, their um, I remember when I used to work at American Express, that was something that I always looked forward to. I know that they had a women's network there and they often had uh, women speakers come in and 
and, um, you know, empower us. And that was always something that I looked forward to. Uh, So I I would suggest starting there. Those are great ideas. Actually, we have an idea that's so you're brilliant. We have (laughs) this one idea of an event called Fearless Voices. And that the idea behind it is somewhat fashioned around, I understand that when Maria Shriver was the first lady in California, she had a conference for women. And she made it very accessible to people of different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, like the pricing was different based upon uh, your income, Mm -hmm, your age. mm -hmm. And we have an idea, and we've we've tested it once, and it was very successful, of having an event called Fearless Voices, which is about this, it's about women at each career stage. And it would be more than just talking about business. We would have people, we, we've, the one we tested, we had a spoken word poet. We had someone sing opera. We had a dancer. We had, um, mu- musicians. And we, and then we had business leaders at each stage of their career. We focused on people who had side hustles. And so it was a really eclectic group of, I think we had 30 speakers, women and men. Uh, that was very inspiring. Uh, that was actually the event that we hosted in Chicago was not was called the Stages Summit, but it was it was inspired by what Maria Shriver did, and so that's what we're thinking about bringing on the road next year. But I love your idea of pop ups too, because we do do what we call white label events for companies. So we do it all the time. We program events for people at can. So we do have that capacity to do that kind of thing. And then another idea that just popped into my head was maybe doing um, a podcast. She runs a podcast where maybe you're the the host of it or someone else on your team or a volunteer and uh, bring on, you know, people from the organization onto the podcast. And that way you can spread the message nationally. Yes. And then when you do launch in a market – uh, those women are already familiar with the with the organization. Well, I might tap you after. Yeah, after yeah. I'll... About how to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can help you there. Uh, and then, lastly, uh, what does it mean to you to be an entrepreneurista? I mean, I love, I love the idea of just fearlessly launching into something with incredible optimism. I'm I'm not one that has a lot of self doubt. I um, I go where my cur- curiosity lies, um, and and so that's for me to be an entrepreneur. That's what it's been. It's it's just having trusting your gut, and enrolling others in what's possible, and just not giving up is usually what I think a successful entrepreneur does. So much in trusting your gut, so yes. much in enrolling others in what's possible. Has, has served me well my whole career. And that's definitely something that I've learned from running a business is you just have to uh, move forward, try it. Don't be afraid to fail or make mistakes because just the direction of, of moving forward will get you to get you somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Where can everyone find and follow you? Well, I'm at Lynn Brannigan on Twitter, so that's, and we are, uh, our social handles are uh, she runs it org on Instagram, so th- those are the best places to find me. Thank you, thank you. Well, I'm Courtney, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Entrepreneurista is produced by Mouth Media Network for Socialfly. Copyright 2019, Socialfly, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. Bye.